This is your trigger warning. Listener discretion advised. Before we proceed with this episode, we want to provide a trigger warning. This episode contains adult content and sensitive discussions about topics such as murder, sexual abuse, and other heinous acts. We understand that these subjects may be distressing or triggering to some individuals. If you feel uncomfortable or emotionally impacted by such content, we urge you to prioritize your well-being. It's okay to take a break from this episode or skip it altogether. Your mental and emotional health are important to us. If you decide to continue listening, please be aware that the discussions may evoke strong emotions. We encourage you to reach out to friends, family, or professional support if you need someone to talk to after listening. Thank you for understanding. We appreciate your continued support as we explore important and sometimes difficult topics in our podcast. Remember, self-care is crucial and you should put your well-being first. During the 1980s, several unidentified female victims with red or reddish hair were found dead along various highways throughout the United States. Two weeks ago, authorities discovered the badly decomposed body of a red-haired woman in Cheatham County near Nashville. Last week, another redhead was discovered near Corbin, Kentucky. Now authorities in Greene County discovered the body of yet another red-headed victim. The cases are scattered across different states, and investigators have always believed that a single, unidentified serial killer possibly a truck driver, may be responsible for these murders. The exact number of victims is uncertain. The string of homicides have become known as the Redhead Murders. Coined the Redhead Murders, the discarded bodies of these women were found from 1978 to as late as 1992, though the five murders considered to be most likely related all took place in the 80s. It was dubbed that by the media, it wasn't dubbed that by us. Public attention just really drew to this idea of one man killing all of these redheads. The circumstances surrounding each murder share striking similarities. The victims, often young women, were found strangled or shot and their bodies were left near highways or in remote areas, making identification and investigation challenging. Moreover, the lack of personal belongings further complicated efforts to determine the victims' identities. The victims, many with red hair, were all dumped along major U.S. highways. Law enforcement agencies from multiple states have been involved in the investigation, attempting to connect the dots between these seemingly related cases. However, the elusive nature of the perpetrator and the lack of concrete leads have left many questions unanswered. We were just talking about the other day. Wondering whatever happened to the story, you know, was it ever solved or anything? It still weighs heavily on my mind because I know that's uh, someone's daughter. So with that, let's dive into each murder. We will divide this into victims and suspected victims. The first five victims. On September 16, 1984, the body of a woman later identified as 28-year-old Lisa Nichols was found along I-40 near West Memphis, Arkansas. She was wearing only a sweater. Ultimately, she was found to have been a resident of West Virginia, but authorities were not able to identify and contact her family members for some time. She is actually the only identified victim. They believe that she was attempting to hitchhike. She was a Jane Doe until June of 1985, nine months after she was murdered. She was identified through fingerprints 
and was later identified by a couple from Florida who had allowed her to stay with them for a period of time. Nichols may have been murdered after leaving a truck stop along the highway while trying to hitchhike. It was New Year's Day and I was the only one that answered the telephone. So I went up to the crime scene. On January 1st, 1985, the body of a woman was found near Jellicoe, Tennessee in Campbell County. The body was found over a guardrail down an embankment. We recovered the blanket and what we felt was a body inside of it. She had ligature marks around her neck, which gives you a pretty good, look, pretty good uh, indication she'd been strangled. The remains were in an advanced state of decomposition and it was believed she had been killed approximately 72 hours before. She was Caucasian, had shoulder length curly red hair, and her age was estimated to be between 17 and 25, but possibly as old as 30. The victim was found clothed in a tan pullover and a shirt and a pair of jeans. Her eyes were green. Additionally, she had been wrapped in a blanket which was later found to have seminal fluid on it. She had been strangled. There was a, a idea that this might have been tied in with what was called the redhead killer. The young woman had freckles over her body and various scars including a burn mark on one arm. She was also 10 to 12 weeks pregnant when she died. She had a partial upper denture holding two false teeth and it is believed that she was between 5 foot 1 and 5 feet 4 inches and that she weighed approximately 110 pounds. Over 30 years later, on September 6, 2018, the Shelby County Sheriff's Office announced that the victim had been identified by fingerprints. Her name? Tina Marie McKinney Farmer of Indiana. She was 21 or 22 at the time of her death and was last seen in Indianapolis accompanied by a trucker said to be headed to Kentucky. Farmer had one daughter prior to disappearing in 1984. She was reported missing by her family at the time, yet authorities in Indiana did not enter her into a national database. Apparently, the state did not have a law common to many other states requiring such a thing. This contributed to the delay in identification. On April 3rd, 1985, the skeletonized partial remains of a young girl were discovered about 200 yards off Big Wheel Gap Road, four miles southwest of Jellicoe, Tennessee. She was found near a strip mine, and she was believed to have been dead one to four years. Her age was estimated to be between 9 and 15 years. The cause of death is undetermined but does not rule out homicide. In all, 32 bones, including her skull, were recovered from the scene. Her skull was complete enough to permit a facial reconstruction attempt. A necklace and bracelet made of plastic buttons were found nearby as well as a pair of size 5 boots and a few scraps of clothing. It is still unclear as to if any of these items actually belonged to her. Her hair and eye color were unknown, and her age range is below the median for the other victims, but the circumstances of her death seem to connect her to them. Recent forensic analysis of the victim's remains indicated that she was not native to the area where she was discovered. The tests showed that she was likely born in Florida or Central Texas and had later lived in the Midwest, Rocky Mountain States, Southwest, or perhaps the Pacific Coast. 
move all the way forward to August 30th, 2022, and she was identified as 15-year-old Tracy Sue Walker of Lafayette, Indiana. After nearly four decades, investigators have finally identified a child after her remains were found in Campbell County. A lab in Texas positively ID'd the child as Tracy Sue Walker. The connection was made after Othram Laboratories located a possible family member in the Lafayette area. And other information helped locate several other relatives there as well. Those relatives later confirmed that they did indeed have a relative who disappeared in 1978. Tracy's mother had twice reported her as running away from their Eisenhower Court home in Lafayette, and Tracy had last been seen at Tippecanoe Mall with a friend sometime in 1978. Ultimately, DNA samples were taken and submitted to CODIS from which Walker's remains were identified. She had light red hair. On March 31, 1985, the skeletonized body of a red-haired female was found in Pleasant View, Tennessee. She was believed to have died between three and five months earlier from an unknown cause. Again, homicide was not ruled out and her case is linked to the redhead murders due to the location of her remains, which were also found on the south side of the interstate, and her hair color. Unlike some of the other victims, she was wearing clothing. A shirt, sweater, pants, and underwear. She was white, between 5 feet and 5 feet 2 inches tall, but her weight could not be determined. An examination of her teeth showed that the victim had some evidence of crowding and overlapping in her mouth, and she was believed to be between the ages of 31 and 40 at the time of her death. Just a few months ago, in July of 2023, the Mid-State cold case victim has now been identified, and it's all thanks to specialized DNA testing. In 1985, skeleton remains were found near the creek on I-24 West in Cheatham County. The victim's remains had been there for months. Investigators could not figure out the person's identity. Well, in December, as part of the Unidentified Human Remains DNA Initiative, TBI agents submitted a sample of the remains to a lab out in Texas. A TBI analyst was able to find potential family members. Now we know that victim was Michelle Lavone Inman from Nashville. On April 1st, 1985, the body of a woman was found in a large white Admiral refrigerator in Gray, Kentucky, alongside Route 25. Her death was by suffocation. The victim had been dead for a few days and was nude except for two distinctive necklace pendants, one of a heart and the other of a gold-colored eagle, along with two pairs of socks, one white and the other white with green and yellow stripes. She had two uh, necklaces on, uh, uh, an eagle pendant and a, a heart pendant. We had photographs of those. There were early reports that the victim may have been soliciting a ride to North Carolina over CB radio. The community stepped up and still held a funeral. You could come up here anytime and, and the grave's always decorated. There's always flowers on the grave. 500 people attended the Jane Doe victim's funeral, which was televised. The case was a local sensation in Gray as the town was a quiet and sleepy place where little out of the ordinary ever happened. I was training to be a deputy coroner at that time and that's when this took place. It was a redhead who was found in the refrigerator. The refrigerator she was found in had a decal of the word superwoman on the front. 
Distinguishing features of the body included a number of moles on the right side of her neck, near an ankle and below each breast, a yellow-stained upper incisor, and a scar and other marks on her abdomen indicating that she had borne a child. Her eyes were light brown and her hair was red and nearly a foot long, which fit the pattern of the redhead murders. There were several redheads who was missing during that period of time or had been found along the I-75 corridor. Uh, maybe a serial killer. After the autopsy, the victim was determined to be between 24 and 35 years old and approximately 4 feet 9 to 4 feet 11 inches tall. After the case was publicized in January of 2013, the police received some tips, but it is unknown if they ever became solid leads. However, on October 1st, 2018, thanks to DNA testing, Knox County's red-headed Jane Doe has her name back, S.B. Regina Black Pilgrim. The Knox County Sheriff's Office announced that this woman had been positively identified as S.B. Regina Black Pilgrim of Western North Carolina. A DNA match was made between her and her grown daughter, who said her mother disappeared when the girl was just six weeks old. I'm just glad that, that she did find what happened to her mother. Now for the suspected victims. There are at least eight of them. Priscilla Ann Blevins was a 27-year-old woman whose skeletal remains were found along I-40 in Waynesville, North Carolina on March 29, 1985. It is believed that she had been placed at the location around the time she went missing a decade earlier in 1975. Blevins was identified via DNA and dental records in 2012. No cause or manner of death was determined and authorities have not specified the type of investigation that is taking place surrounding her case. Blevin's sister, however, commented that the circumstances of the decedent's discovery appeared to be involuntary. She had reddish blonde hair. On May 25, 1981, law enforcement recovered a body from a low water crossing on Highway MM near Dixon, Missouri. The victim had suffered trauma to the face and was strangled with pantyhose. She was clothed but without shoes and was estimated to be between 25 and 40 years of age. She actually had black hair but has nonetheless been tentatively linked to other cases in the murder series based on similarities in M.O. Isotope testing later showed that the decedent had not lived in Missouri for more than a few years and most likely spent most of her life in the southeastern region of the United States. In December of 2019, she was tentatively identified by the DNA Doe Project as Karen K. Nippers, who was 33 years old when she was murdered, with identity confirmation not taking place until May 25th of 2021, which was exactly 40 years after she had been found. The Pulaski County Sheriff's Department today identified the remains of a female homicide victim found dead on this date 40 years ago as Karen K. Nippers. On February 13, 1983, the naked body of a white female was found alongside Route 250 near Littleton in Wetzel County, West Virginia. A pair of senior citizens reported the body which they originally had thought was a display mannequin. The body had been placed at the area recently as snow was on the ground but not on the body. 
Police said that tire tracks and footprints nearby indicated that she was likely transported to this site after death from another location. Their examination concluded that she had died about two days previously and was not a victim of sexual assault. Her cause of death was undetermined, and her hair was auburn. With an estimated age between 35 and 45, this victim was likely older than the median for the other women grouped as victims of the serial killer. Her height was estimated at 5 feet 6 inches and weight as 135 pounds. Her eyes were presumed to be brown, although postmortem changes may have affected the eye color. She had two scars, one typical of a C-section and another on one index finger. Witnesses described seeing a middle-aged white male about 5 feet 10 inches and weighing 185 to 200 pounds near the area where the body was found. Reports indicate that the victim may have been recently seen alive in Wheeling, West Virginia as an employee or customer at a bar. West Virginia authorities are unsure of whether this victim is related to the other victims in the Redhead murders. The DeSoto County Jane Doe was found murdered on January 24, 1985 in Olive Branch, Mississippi. The victim was found by a truck driver driving southbound on Highway 78, 100 feet east of Coldwater River Bridge at around 7.30 a.m. Her body was about 20 feet south of the highway and her shoes, undergarments, and jacket were missing. She was strangled with a ligature and possibly sexually assaulted. She was estimated to be between 20 and 40 years old and was approximately 5 feet 2 to 5 feet 4 inches tall with a weight of somewhere around 120 pounds. She is believed to have been a heavy smoker and had three piercings in each ear and her fingernails were deeply bitten. On April 14, 1985, the body of a young white female was found in Greenville, Tennessee. She was determined to have been killed between three and six weeks previously by severe blunt force trauma and possibly a stab wound. Her body was in an advanced state of decomposition, but police were able to obtain her fingerprints as well as DNA and dental information. She had been approximately six to eight weeks pregnant shortly before she died. She was estimated to be between 14 and 25 years old, and she was approximately 5 feet 4 inches to 5 feet 6 inches tall with a weight around 135 pounds. She had a slight overbite and had some fillings in her teeth showing that she had received dental care in her life. Her fingernails had pink polish. Because she had light brown to blonde hair with red highlights, her case was thought to be possibly related to the redhead murders. Authorities hoped in late April of 1985 that they would identify her body through fingerprints but were unsuccessful. The body of a teenage girl found along a Tri-Cities interstate now has a name. Today, the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation identified the victim as 17-year-old Elizabeth Lamott of Manchester, New Hampshire. In April 1985, someone found her decomposing body along Interstate 81 near exit 44 in Greene County. She was not identified until November of 2018 when officials announced that the victim was New Hampshire native Elizabeth Lamont. She was 17 at the time of her death. 
She had been staying at a group home in Manchester, New Hampshire, but never returned to her family after gaining furlough. The Manchester Police Department obtained DNA from the brothers of Liz Lamont. And um, that DNA was then um, sent to a national database. She was identified through a DNA match after a DNA profile was obtained from Lamont's family by New Hampshire police in 2017. While we know who she was, we still do not know who killed her and how she got from New Hampshire to Greene County. The Rowan County Jane Doe was a woman found on August 29, 1987 in Rowan County, Tennessee. She was estimated to be between 35 and 50 years old and 5 feet 8 inches in height. She had naturally brown hair that was dyed reddish. She had a hysterectomy and a tracheotomy, and she had a mole on the left side of her back and also had breast implants. Additionally, she had an old gunshot wound to her third thoracic vertebrae with a bullet still lodged in her spine. Authorities determined that the body had been burned and suspect that this was done deliberately to hinder identification efforts. However, in late 2023, Mary Lou Wisely was burned after she died and discarded by a dumpster in Roan County. For decades, investigators couldn't figure out who she was. Once Othram Labs got her remains, they used cutting-edge technology to take a deeper look into DNA samples. The photograph Special Agent Joe Montgomery has of Stacy Chahorsky is old, photocopied in black and white. It was overwhelming. As an agent, you live with these cases, so. Stacy Lynn Chahorsky was a woman who was found strangled to death in Rising Fawn, Georgia in late 1988. Chahorsky was officially reported missing in January of 89, four months after she was last contacted. She had informed her mother via telephone that she was planning to hitch rides from her current location in North Carolina to her home state of Michigan in the cities of Flint and Muskegon. Her remains were discovered along the east side of northbound I-59 near Rising Fawn in Dade County, Georgia. It was suspected that the victim may have been a hitchhiker prior to identification. It was determined she had been sexually assaulted and strangled. The decedent had brownish strawberry blonde or red shoulder length hair with frosted ends. In 2019, her age range was adjusted to 25 to 30, and before this, she was thought to be as young as 16 and possibly a runaway. She was identified with assistance from Othram in late March of 2022. In 2015, her murder was assigned to the cold case unit. In March of this year, Agent Montgomery finally got to call Stacy's family and tell them she had been identified through forensic genealogy 33 years after her death. Late last month, her killer was identified the same way. I spoke with Stacy's mother last week to let her know that we found who the killer was. After 32 years, uh, we've identified the victim as Donna Sue Nelton. 28-year-old victim, okay, originally from Arkansas, but living in the Kansas City, Missouri area. Donna Sue Nelton, formerly known as the Benton County Jane Doe, was a woman who was found murdered on May 7th of 1990 in Rogers, Arkansas. The victim was located eight miles west of Decatur off of Highway 102. 
Several bones were recovered along with what appeared to be shotgun wadding. Buckshot pellets were found in the ground under the skull, and a neighbor reported seeing a fire in the area in February of 1990, but never went to investigate. He believed someone was burning trash. Investigators believe that the victim may have been run over with a vehicle to make identification difficult, if not impossible. After the victim had been shot, she was set on fire. There were not enough remains to provide a reconstruction, and she is estimated to be between 25 and 35 years of age and around 5 foot 5 inches in height. She was identified on October 25, 2022 as Donna Sue Nelton, who was last seen in the fall of 89. And that is the last of the suspected victims. It is believed that most of these victims remained unidentified due to being estranged or not close to existing family members. They also may not have been native to the states in which they were found. In 1985, not long after the Greene County victim was found, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi requested that the FBI assist with the cases. There were inconsistencies among some of the victims and characteristics of the crime scenes as some were found with or without clothing and some had a sexual encounter before their murders and some did not. As for the suspects, first, in 2022, Stacy Lynn Chahorsky's killer was identified as Henry Frederick Wise, aka Hoss Wise, who would have been 34 years old at the time of her murder. He was a truck driver for Western Carolina Trucking Company, driving through places like Chattanooga, Birmingham, and Nashville, and he was also a stunt driver. He also had a criminal history in Florida, Georgia, and North Carolina, ranging from theft and assault to obstruction of a police officer. Wise burned to death in a car accident at Myrtle Beach Speedway in South Carolina in 1999. As for the Donna Sue Nelton case, federal authorities suspect her boyfriend at the time, George Alvin Brutton, for her murder. Brutton had spent time on the FBI's most wanted list for three months in 1979 after taking two families hostage and wounding two officers in Utah. In September of 89, he and an associate were seen disposing trash bags containing Donna's personal items into a dumpster in North Kansas City. Her car was found in a storage unit owned by Brutton. Brutton was sentenced to life in prison for a drug-related offense and later died in 2008. But perhaps most importantly, do you remember Tina Farmer? Well, her body was found on New Year's Day of 1985. Not only was it identified in 2018, but the following year, a suspect was identified. In December, we announced that we discovered that DNA located on her um, body and material that she was wrapped in contained the DNA of Jerry Johns. In 2019, DNA evidence found on Tina's body and on the blanket she was wrapped in identified convicted kidnapper Jerry Lee Johns as the man that killed Tina Marie McKinney Farmer in December of 1984. He was previously convicted in 1987 of aggravated kidnapping, assault, and other crimes in the attack on a woman named Linda Shackey. John had came into Knoxville with his brother and went to a strip club called the Catch 
and he had spent some money with a particular female down there and had enticed her to come to his room. Brought up this story that he, that he gave her $200 and he took these two $100 bills and he ripped them in half and he gave her half and said, you'll get the rest later. During that interaction, things went awry, took her hostage, then used her own shirt to, to bind her by the hands. And it's had a gun and pulled a gun on her and had taken her to a remote area. She asked Johns, are you going to kill me? And he said, yes. And she said, why? And she said, because you're a nuisance. And then strangled her. He then fled uh, using her vehicle and left her for dead. Shaki survived her attack even after she was bound, strangled, and dumped along I-40. Her testimony assisted in putting Johns behind bars. Like Farmer, Shaki had been choked with a piece of cloth ripped from her t-shirt, bound and left for dead inside a storm drain under I-40. Like Farmer and the other potential victims of the redhead murders, Shaki also had red hair. Unfortunately, Jerry Lee Johns died in prison in 2015. It was a surreal moment um, to discover after all those years that, that we had identified you know who this killer was but it was it was deflating to know that that he had died you know just shortly before our discovery of this DNA. It would have done my heart good if if all that had come out and he was still living because he was such an arrogant person. A perfect fit as being a psychopath. For what it's worth on December 18th of 2019 a grand jury in Campbell County, Tennessee ruled that Johns would have been indicted for murder in Farmer's death if he were still alive. So where does that leave us? It would not surprise me that at least there's one or two more that Jerry Johns is involved in. To be able to say that he is the guy, we're not there. Just because the color of someone's hair is the same, and even just because the, the cases are the same, it, it doesn't always add up to enough. We are definitely open to that possibility. Are we going to get there? I don't know, but we're not going to stop trying to connect anything that will connect. So clearly there is a great assumption that Johns is the murderer. We do have two potential victims, but there won't be a trial, and there is still no closure for most of these victims and their families, and there never will be. So now onto the notes. First, some information. The Tennessee Bureau of Identification and Othram are organizations that work to identify missing and unidentified people through DNA, uh, forensic technologies like uh, forensic genealogy, meaning that they use family trees and DNA to deduce likely relatives. The Redhead Murders have gained notoriety not only for the mysterious circumstances surrounding the crimes, but also for the efforts of various organizations and individuals to bring attention to these cases. Podcasts, documentaries, true crime enthusiasts like yourself have contributed to keeping this story alive and advocating for justice for these victims. To that point, there's a great story about a Tennessee high school sociology class that developed a psychological profile that accurately depicts Jerry Lee Johns. For me, two things stand out in these murders beyond the obvious hair color. First, there was little known about most of these women, and it reminds me of Samuel Little's victims. These women were mostly forgotten by society. They were drifters. They were runaways. They had been cast off. Many of the descriptions and images of these women have been recreated by artists for forensic purposes, 
but still didn't necessarily identify people for many, many years. Many were Jane Doe's for the longest time, and a few of them still are. Which brings me to the second point. Most of these women weren't identified for 20 to 30 years or more. Advances in DNA technology helped identify some of them, and advances in communication technologies allowed the artist's renderings to reach more people. And most of these victims have, by this time, at least been identified. The bad part? Well, I think that might be almost knowing. I think the hardest part is that we probably know who it is, but past what we have already been able to figure out, there probably isn't much more. Perhaps a few more identities, but at this point, the people that could identify these unknown victims are getting old or perhaps dead. Their parents and family members may be few and far between. At least one of the victims was identified by someone she had rented a room from briefly in the year preceding her death. What are the odds of that kind of identification occurring more than once and nearly 50 years later? And finally, I think it's just amazing how the small town of Gray honored S.B. Pilgrim the way they did. They buried her and seemingly the whole town attended the funeral. And to this day, they keep her grave in order. Also, the town of New Bloomfield all chipping in to give Karen Nippers a gravestone with her name on it so many years later. It's just awesome. Just amazing stories of humanity amongst all of the carnage. As with many cold cases, the red-headed murders serve as a poignant reminder of the ongoing challenges in solving crimes and the importance of raising awareness to encourage tips or information from the public. While the cases remain open, hope persists that advances in forensic technology or new leads may one day identify the perpetrator of these crimes and bring closure to the victim's families. We need your help. Please share our podcast. It is the only way we can grow, improve, and share these stories with you. Also, you can join us on Twitter. Our handle is PodcastHeinous, at PodcastHeinous. In the meantime, stay safe, stay curious, and stay tuned for more.